from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first reading this morning is First uh, Samuel chapters two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, which is page 234 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Listen now for the word of God for you and for me. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries, shall be shattered, the Most High, will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kate. That's our first scripture passage kicking off our sermon series, uh, the verses in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's known as Hannah's Song. So here now, another song, a more familiar one perhaps, words that will sound similar. This is Mary's Song of Praise from Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. And the time came for Elizabeth 
to give birth, and she bore a son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy one, guide us by the spirit of truth to hear the word of life you speak today. Does not wisdom call and understanding raise her voice? To your threefold name, all glory, honor, and praise we raise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It was not too long ago and not too far from here when I was sitting with our fourth and fifth graders for a fun event out in the gardens called Cookies with the Pastors. It's a time when some of our youngest theologians get to ask any and all questions of the pastors while having fun eating cookies that have been decorated in the likeness of said pastors. This was not my first time participating in this type of tell-all event, so I had brushed off my answers in anticipation of some questions like, what is your favorite color? Green. What is your favorite movie? Jaws. Don't worry, it's PG. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Right now, I would say Jenny's Dolly Parton-inspired strawberry. Maybe some of you got that. I had also prepared myself for the disappointed looks that I would see when I had to admit that no, I have not even really ever met someone who's famous. Luckily, our other pastors pulled through with an array of sports figures, politicians, and movie stars. It's really quite impressive, the brushes with fame on this staff. But when it came time for the real questions, and by that I mean the theological ones, where the pastor's expertise is needed, there was one question this time that I wasn't prepared for. It was posed beautifully and hopefully by the rising fifth grader seated right beside me at the table. She raised her hand and she smiled and she said, why is it that I only hear God talked about as a man? As I mentioned, she was sitting right beside me and, you know, six feet apart, but she was right beside me and due to the proximity of location, I was the first to respond, the first pastor to have a go at this thoughtful and complex question. So I said, you know, that's a really good point. We do most often hear God talked about as male, but if you actually go to scripture in the Bible, there are lots of different ways to talk about God, many other images and ideas. And in some of them, God is female, like a mothering hen or a mama nursing her baby or a wise, wise woman. It's one of the reasons I confessed that I really liked seminary because I learned that the Bible actually says a lot more about God than what we typically hear in church. Well, the other pastors chimed in, God is not male, is not female, is more than gender. Someone said the Holy Spirit we sometimes talk about with feminine language. Later, someone mentioned all the women who are pastors in our congregation, 
If not a direct representation of God, sorry to disappoint you, it does remind us that the feminine is valued in faith. Our answers were fine, hopefully enlightening, and she nodded her head, hopefully satisfied. But even with our detailed descriptions, her words rang loud and clear in my mind long after the cookies were gone. The language we use in church, in confessions, in scripture, in creeds, in hymns, in prayers, in profession of faith is limited. When we think about the mystery and the bigness of God and our ability to witness to the belovedness of all, gendered language is just one example of how our God talk really does fall short rather depressing answer to offer a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and eager group of fourth and fifth graders, we who talk God as professionals have to admit that language is limited, even restrictive, sometimes possibly political, and always falling short of the glory of God. So instead of staying stuck on words, here is what I wish I had said. You are absolutely right that language about God can be disappointing. But there are other ways we communicate, right? Actually, some of the oldest texts in the Bible are songs. There is Hannah's song and Mary's song. Miriam's song, and Deborah's. So yes, language can be tricky, but have you heard us sing? Scholars do believe that some of the oldest verses recorded in Scripture are song. These are ancient odes that were passed down from the mouths of one generation to the tongues of the next the songs were inserted by editors who were compiling our sacred stories, and often the songs were sung long before the stories were told. Sometimes it is the central tune around which the scaffolding of a narrative is built. One of the absolute earliest foundational pieces of scripture is Miriam's song. This is when the prophet sings on the banks of the Red Sea after crossing over from Egypt in the Exodus. Here she takes up the mantle of tune. She picks up her timbrel and she belts out thanksgiving for salvation. And scripture says the women dance and celebrate. And that's certainly not the only song in scripture. During the period of Judges, which is actually the historical moment on which the book of Samuel and this sermon series opens, it's this time in history when God has raised up rulers as judges before the people of Israel have asked for a king. It's in this time that we see the people sing. In Judges 5.12, scripture records they run to a favored judge and they invite her to raise a tune. I love this line. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song. 
And then in the New Testament reading today, we hear Mary's song. It's a well-known and beloved song. It's one that is my favorite hymn now on Christmas. It's 100, Canticle of the Turning. And in this song, it's right when Mary has met with Elizabeth and the child leaps in her womb. This is the scene that is momentous for the history of Christianity and the life of the world to come. Something incredible is about to happen. The world is about to change with the birth of this boy. And to mark this moment in history, to prepare us for what is to come, Mary sings. And it's a reprise of a tune that we heard before, Hannah's song. Hannah's song starts our sermon series. It's the Old Testament reading for today, and Hannah, too, sings at a turning point in history. You'll see it through the summer as we read through First and Second Samuel. These passages track an important moment. It's the end of the tribal confederacy, that period of the judges that I just mentioned. It tracks this and tells the story of the people asking for and receiving kings. First and Second Samuel tell the story of the first two kings, of Israel. As one scholar succinctly notes, the stories in 1st and 2nd Samuel will be focused on national political changes and the powerful men who make and benefit from them, but yet it starts when Hannah sings. Hannah herself is a righteous woman. And the verses before what Kate read for us today, we see that she has dedicated her child to the priesthood. It's a sacrifice made even more meaningful when she, we hear that she was barren and ridiculed and bereft. Her son is Samuel, the titular figure of these books, the key leader during this political transition and theological change. He is the one who is obedient to God. And how does scripture announce his arrival on the scene? With trumpet blasts and thus says the Lord, with decrees dropped down from clouds, a genealogy list or titles, titles and more titles? No, nothing like that. At this turning point in time, Hannah sings. And first and second Samuel, it's not just about a political transition, it's also the story of theological change. It's about people searching for new language about God. Samuel was originally, it was just one book, and it was gathered from a number of different sources, and it took its shape about 500 years after the events of which it records. So that means that the first folks to see this compilation were not the people looking forward to a kingdom and a king. In fact, the first people to handle this manuscript were suffering through an incredible defeat of that kingdom, of that nation. They were exiled, and the loss of self-rule created a crisis of faith. And it's into this mix that Hannah's song comes. She reminds of the victor, the holy one, the most high, the rock who is God. It's an old lyric, but it's sung for an impossibly new 
day. And her song is much more than just speech. You know this. Song gives us another way to know what is true. When these women lift their voices in scripture, they rework ancient words to help shape the world that is to come. Song moves us in transitions to pulse with an unscripted faith as we practice new words, as we practice new ways of being in relationship with God. We sing. And it's not only the women of Scripture who take up a tune. Both David and Moses take the time to become singers too. And the Psalms and the prophets, they say the trees will clap their hands. The mountains and the hills will break forth in singing, and even the stones will shout out. Yes, language can be tricky, but have you heard us sing? For me, there was a moment in the pandemic when I will say that my typical words about God failed me and I was saved by song. It was early and we were stuck at home. You know the drill. Most of the support systems that I thought I needed to get through my day were basically gone. No school for my son, no more in-person doctor's visits at the time, no more extended family help, no more toilet paper, no more Starbucks for a time. Thank God for virtual ministry and your generosity that my paycheck wasn't on the list of no more, as it was for so many people. But lots of the ways that I knew to get to God were gone. No more sanctuary. No more people in the pews. No more heavy book Bible commentaries. And no more actual circles of Christians sitting around. I really missed the committee and the small group. There were no more gathered disciples trying our best to love the least of these and then being able to admit when we were wrong. Well, this one moment early in the pandemic, it was also early in the day, and I was trying to get on a Zoom and have something faithful and hopeful to say to you, and my usual language about God was so stale that I was silent. But, like many of you, I had taken up birding during stay-at-home orders. And that morning, when I was quiet, I heard them sing. A cacophony, really, thousands of notes, untold tunes wafting across the oaks and pines, unconcerned with the present pandemic, bursting forth, shouting in praise, reminding me of the presence of God. In her commentary uh, for Trinity Sunday, there's a Lutheran pastor, Joanne Post, who writes this. When words fail, the church sings. She's writing about the mystery that we encounter and we try to grapple with, especially on this festival day of the Trinity. It's a day of head-scratching ideas and inexplicable joy, and she wonders 
if there's another image of the divine, majestic in splendor, tender in mercy, mysterious as the wind, she wonders if another image of the divine might be that of a choir. Is it possible that God's love for us and for all of creation surpasses words, causing God to sing to us, to sing of us, to sing for us? She concludes, the only way to adequately praise God who is beyond our knowing is with song. It's an approach the psalmists employed and the editors of First and Second Samuel enjoyed as well. It's something that Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and Mary knew and Samuel and the priests and the prophets and the kings too. The only way to adequately praise God who is beyond our knowing is with song. Might then we loosen our lexicons, lighten our lips, and make a joyful noise? Because language can be disappointing. But have you heard us sing? And for this, may we be truly grateful. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.
May you go now into this world that God loves so much, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.